got talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. On Monday, we rewatched the offense and talked to Ohio State's offense in the 17 to 14 win over Notre Dame. This is Tuesday, and we're doing defense now. And we're going to start in the secondary. And the reason we're starting there is on Monday, the Big Ten puts out its player of the week every single week. First Ohio State football player got his Lathan Ransom. He had a team high 13 tackles, seven of them were solo, and he had a QB hit. Nathan. Is that granted? I mean, was that your player of the game defensively with the way Lathan Ransom played? Especially in some, he had some key stops in that game as well. But is that would that have been your pick if you were in charge of picking that for the Big Ten every week? I thought there was a physical tone that he set in that game, and that's that's not necessarily what you base those things on. Obviously, thirteen tackles probably helped a lot, and the magnitude of the game as far as him getting that award. You're starting to see the confidence that he plays with, and. I think those sorts of things are contagious. And so there's a you're seeing a guy really come into his own as the kind of complete version of of player that he could be. And I think as long as they keep using him the way they are using him, I still don't know that any of those safeties are like tremendous in like one-on-one coverage situations and um there's probably teams that are going to test them there and they they probably have some things to to prove still. But the way that he was kind of hammering away and, and supporting the run defense in this game, I thought, was was pretty impressive. And he definitely had some some of the big or was in on some of the key stops in this game. So if you were picking a single person from Ohio State that really rose to the occasion, JT Tumaloa, who we'll talk about later, had two of the most crucial plays back to back there in the fourth quarter that that made this the the comeback possible. But as far as like laying the foundation for the the Defensive performance in totality. I think Ransom is a good call. Andrew, I think the play that stands out the most with Lathan, fourth and one, they ran a QB sneak, which, you know, Nathan Baird, if you listen to the Monday pod, Nathan talks about well, the QB sneak and why Ohio State isn't doing it. Notre okay. Dame did it. <laughs> yeah, their, their fourth and one call is different than what I would have called on fourth and inches. But That's fair. But fourth and one, the defensive line and the linebackers do their job by mucking up the middle and forcing Sam Hartman out to the left. And then Lathan Ransom and Sonny Styles are waiting for him and driving backwards. And Ohio State gets the ball back. That's, I don't, that to me sums up the entire Lathan Ransom game because that's a big moment where you absolutely need a stop. And a guy who had been making tackles all game shows up on a fourth and one and gets a TFL, gets a tack. Him and Sonny Styles combined for one of the bigger plays the defense made all game. The, Opinion I had rewatching the defense was it is less of the opinion that I had of them immediately after the game. There's some things where I looked at and and I think I had this with Ohio State's offense again. You mentioned the Monday pod where I I would say like what what in the world are they calling here? I kind of had that same thing with Notre Dame a couple of times. I was like, what are they do? Like they have Audrey Estime who's 235 pounds. It's kind of the same thing as Ohio State. You've got these great receivers, use them. Well, Notre Dame has this really big bowling ball of a running back, use him, and they didn't. And the the fourth and short play or the fourth and one play that you're referring to, that was big in in obviously just the stop because, you know, they hurried to the line, which I don't know if that was the best thing because if you know, like Eigenberg came over the top 
And mm-hmm. he was able to time that up really well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Hartman kind of rolls to the left and Sonny Styles gets him and Ransom comes up and hits Hartman. And if he doesn't do that, that's a first down because Styles hit him behind the sticks. And I don't think anybody's going to take Sam Hartman over Sonny Styles in a in a one on one pushing match. But Hartman was ro- was kind of leaning out to the left towards the sideline. And Audric Estime was right behind Hartman. Like that would have been a first down if Ransom didn't come up and pop him. So, you know, that was just a great play for him. And not, you know, we mentioned Ohio State's defense making the plays when it had to make at the time that it had to make them. Notre Dame scored on their next two drives. They scored touchdowns on their next two drives, I should say. And those uh, those drives went for 13 plays, 75 yards. They took 739 off the clock. And the next drive went 11 plays for 96 yards. It took 628 off the clock. So like Notre Dame was cooking offensively in the second half and they were really starting to wear down Ohio State's defense running the ball. And that play really just it impacted the game in ways that are quantifiable on the scoreboard, even though that that did not have a direct result to a scoring play that that play was just as I rewatched it, I, I don't think I gave enough credit to it after the game of just how big of a play that ended up being. Nathan, Ohio State secondary, I think the last two weeks have made significant statements in two very different ways. I think against Western Kentucky, it was, okay, is the coverage that we've seen the first two weeks real, or are they just playing Indiana and Youngstown State? And it's like, yeah, it's real. Denzel Burke's getting pass breakups. Jordan Hancock's coursing fumbles. Davidson Igbenosin is very handsy. And I think the refs missed some pass interference calls again in this game. But still, to the point, I think he's physical. And Jim Knows got asked about that physicality. And he said, no, he wants him to, he, he likes it. You don't want to tone that back. So fine. That's, that, that is what it is. But between Lathan Ransom and Sonny Styles, the way they've played, I thought Josh Proctor was quality as well. I don't think he did anything great, but he, I mean, he did, he did his job well. Denzel Burke shut down his side of the field. He had one target, according to Pro Football Focus, and it ended up with a seven-yard completion, and then they never went at him again. And now they went at Davis and Igbenosin time after time after time. But I thought, especially Denzel Burke on his side of the field, Jordan Hancock in the slot, and the physicality that Davis and Igbenosin brought, along with those safeties, you said you said this before that this team is going to go as far as its defensive line. I think that four year four games in, I think that it might go as far as what this secondary is able to do that might open up some things for that front seven. Well, I think Andrew said it the right way as far as the way that this this defense is getting a little bit worn down as this game went on because Notre Dame could just kind of keep hammering away with the the, the running game and uh, it's going to be important that. It's why the import the offensive line needs to find that or the offense. Yeah, I'm sorry, in, in totality, needs to find that spark mm-hmm. again, that explosive spark, and be able to go to that more than maybe just once a game because that's what puts pressure on other teams and makes them have to you know get away from just running the ball at you and then have to take some more chances. And I can't remember a lot of times in in, in on the rewatch where I thought, you know, Ohio State DB just got beat on a play. Like there were mm-hmm. definitely Sam Hartman had some some good success by just sort of like finding guys in the middle of a zone, or maybe Ohio State uh, switched off of guys in coverage and just got a little confused and left a guy open. Like that happened at least once or twice. There wasn't a lot of times where I thought, oh, like this DB is just out of place. This DB 
didn't run, didn't, didn't defend this play correctly. And man, that's such a progression since last year. Like where last year, where there were just mm-hmm. balls up for grabs against teams a lot worse than Notre Dame, and um, you did not know what was going to happen on those plays. And these this these corners and th- this safety group, I think, has come a long way since then. And it says a lot that the the way that they've decided to use guys. I mean, Jordan Hancock's out there on first down sometimes now as the nickel mm-hmm. safety. Like they've they've really bought into the the variance that they can play with at the back of this, and and not give teams an idea exactly of what's coming. So I, I thought it was another really good game for the secondary. You held Hartman and some of it was Notre Dame's play calling, but still like 175 yards and one touchdown. Like I think if you, you take that going in, if you're Ohio state and, and presume that you can, you know, keep this running game in check enough to give yourself a chance to win. And that's, that's obviously what happened. I, it is interesting to me that um, I didn't count up the blitzes in this game, but, didn't feel like very many and i think there's there's a this was maybe the best example we've had so far of the strategy that jim Knowles has been talking about right where it's you know keeping keeping an offense in front of you he doesn't want to call it bend or break and i think that that's true because you're not conceding a drive it's just a matter of playing with a playing with your aggression in a different way and um, I, I think you're, you saw the benefits of it here. We'll see what can happen. I think there are more dynamic offenses on the schedule, perhaps, than, than Notre Dame's. But we'll, it's still just been a week-by-week week sort of positive growth from this defense. And it's, it's becoming harder not to believe in it. I texted this the other day. His tissue had reached out to me and said, hey, by the way, like through four games, Ohio State's defense, per his metrics, had a score of like 8.8, and low mm-hmm. score is better in the defensive metrics. And I was like, oh, like, and he said that would be top 10 for all defenses in his metric dating back to mm-hmm. 1990, if you, because if, he's done it that far back. And I said, well, how does that compare to 2019, which we all kind of yep. acknowledge is like certainly one of the best Ohio State defenses of all time. And he said, oh, it's significantly better. Because that would have been a score of like eleven point something, eleven point seven, I think maybe he said. So, whatever, those are just numbers that are floating around there. Four weeks in, I just think that it's worth noting what is happening now. That this defense flipped from being a liability at times last season, especially in the way that we give up explosive plays, to really having cleaned up a lot of things and is starting to become a a catalyst. And I think it's it's why it's even more important that this offense get things going because you can see where the yin and yang can work there in a really interesting unison and i think we're probably this is all trending towards there's some team on this schedule that's probably going to get buried in a really michigan state 2021 kind of way at some point yeah and where it's all just going to click together for ohio state yeah against a lesser opponent i'm really curious though if they can ever they're going to have to sync it up more in these big games. They're going to have to sync it up more against Penn State. They're going to have to sync it up more against Michigan because it's it's great that they're laying this defensive foundation. But as we saw against Notre Dame, it's still college football. It's still a quality team that you're facing. They can still move the ball, and you can't just completely shut them out. I, it's, I texted this at halftime that like whatever happened from that point of the game on, 
you can't put it on the defense really anymore because they've done everything possible and they're up three to nothing. Like at some point, like it's, there's only so much you can ask of a defense to completely shut down an opponent. The offense has to get going. I I thought the defense did what the defense did what I thought they were going to do against Notre Dame. I said there was the Notre Dame scored 13 points. They scored 14 points. And I think those two touchdowns to your, both of your guys' point were a result of the offense for Ohio state, not clicking. And so after a while, you put your defense, even the greatest defense in the world, you keep putting it out there. Eventually, the team, the opponent's going to break through. And that's what happened in that third quarter is eventually Notre Dame broke through because they had some long drives, man. They had Their drives were of 8 minutes and 12 seconds, 2 minutes and 45 seconds, 3 minutes and 7 seconds. And they had the 26-second drive at the end of the half. That doesn't count because they just – uh, I think they knelt and then let the clock run out. Three minutes and 35 seconds, seven minutes and 39 seconds, six minutes and 28 seconds, and then two minutes and 46 seconds. That adds up after a while, even if you're getting stop after stop, especially with a team who is running the ball as much as Notre Dame ran the ball because they didn't really throw it that impressively. They had four big plays, according to their stats, in the passing game for a total of 93 yards. That's 15-plus yards. Only two of them are where... Sam Hartman actually pushed the ball down the field. There was one that was it was a short pass, and then they got some yards after the catch, so it's a 25-yard gain. Then another one that was just a 15-yard gain, and that was it. But there was the 28-yard throw. I think that was the one that was over the middle where we all looked at each other like, okay, I didn't know Sam Hartman had that in him. Like that, It was quality throw, quality to Sam Hartman, but he, had, he didn't do that all game. And then he had another one that was up the middle for 25 yards. But I, I, to your point, Nathan, Jim Knowles didn't blitz. I think he just trusted the defensive line to get pressure when it when they needed to get pressure, but also not giving Sam Hartman any outs and forcing a guy to work his way up the field because Notre Dame took a couple of shots and they didn't hit on those shots because these cornerbacks are holding up so well. So I think that he instead of just throwing a bunch of blitzes at him, I think he just decided, you know what, my cornerbacks are holding up well. The defensive line, this is going to be a back-and-forth affair, which it was between JT, Tumaloal, Jack Sawyer, and then Blake Fisher and Joe R. I don't think either one of them dominated the other, but the way they just forced Sam Hartman to have to pick them apart and he wasn't necessarily able to do that up the field as much as maybe Notre Dame would have liked them to be able to do in this game. I think this is a quality game for the defense. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, I was going to say, I don't know you. I think this is very much a glass half full glass half empty point that I'm just about to make. Um, Ohio State came out of the locker room and went on defense and Notre Dame had an eight play 36 yard drive that lasted 335 like you were saying and then they made that great play and they made the stop and then right after that Trevion Henderson scores a long touchdown run and Ohio State's defense goes back onto the field and then Notre Dame goes on a 13 play 75 yard touchdown drive that lasted 739 so there is kind of this, like, you know, Nathan used the phrase yin and yang. There is kind of this, like, back and forth where it's like, okay, well, like, the defense was on the field for a very long time. Um, you know, it's understandable that uh, that Notre Dame would be able to run the ball pretty effectively on them. And then there's also the school of thought of, like, okay, stop them. Like, like the reason you're on that field, the, the reason you're on the field for that long is because you haven't made a stop. So, you know, I think one of the things that, that stood out to me was, was – again, the plays that they made at the right times, because, you know, you did kind of prevent some of these drives from getting even longer. Um, you know, Notre Dame, they didn't dominate time of possession, um, but it wasn't exactly like, you know, 
it wasn't exactly even. It was 34-59 to uh, 25-01. Like, Notre Dame had the ball for 10 more minutes. Um, and you look at some of these drives that got stopped. Like, you make the – you knock Sam Hartman out, like, a half a yard short or whatever that was of the first down. And that drive would have hit over 10 minutes, you would assume. If, you know, the clock keeps running, Notre Dame keeps the ball, that drive hits over 10 minutes. Uh, the field goal attempt, um, that is what it is. That was, I mean, that was a really good, I, that was actually one of the times they did call a blitz. Um, and that was, I think maybe Jim Knowles' best play call of the day. Um, you know, he dropped, I, was it Mike Hall or Tyleek Williams that he dropped? In I think couple? it was, it was Tyleek. I thought it was Mike in real time, yeah. but it was Tyleek. But to your point oh. of, okay, stop them. Notre Dame had the ball for almost 10 more minutes than Ohio State did, yeah. but ran one less play than Ohio State ran. Sure. So I think they were getting stops. I just think Notre Dame was running an offense where they were also running the clock down at the same time to keep to keep Ohio State's offense off the field. So that's where Nathan's whole point. Of, the more explosive this offense gets, imagine if you would have had three of those Travion Henderson type explosive plays, not just with right. him, but just in general. These these drives where it's three plays for seventy five yards in a minute and nineteen seconds on top of what the defense was doing against Notre Dame. That completely switches up what Notre Dame can call an offense now. Yep. They can't give the ball to Aldrick Estime because they're now they're trying to keep up with an offense that is scoring, and that's what the Michigan State game was. It wasn't that Ohio State's defense was awesome that day. It's that the offense did what it was supposed to do, and all of a sudden you couldn't use your run game anymore because now you're playing keep up. So if we get to the Penn State game, Nathan, and it is where we're at, where it is the yin and yang. The offense is it's clicking finally. And this defense keeps playing like that. I think we will see at some point. I don't know if it'll ever be that drastic because that Michigan State secondary was just not very good. But just that concept of that's a complete football team when they're working together like that. Yeah, I just I, as I was watching this game, like you can still see where the growth can come for this defense, um, mm-hmm. whether that is stopping the run, whether that is getting better penetration in, in the in the in the pass rush and uh, although once again i think some of that is a little bit overstated we can talk about how that played out during this game it's just it's it's we're four games in and there are still key guys in this defense that you think are still progressing towards playing playing their best football like sunny styles this is still very new for him tyleek williams hasn't been as much of a frontline player as he is right now and although he's playing very very well but it's still something that you know he's still I'm sure gathering things as this unfolds for him. You know, Davis and Igbenosan is is transitioning up here to you know a different system, a different kind of football. Like there's a lot of those little things that you can see where this defense just keeps getting better. Jordan Hancock transitioning to this different role. Like how much better will all these guys be at doing those things in the last third of the season than they are right now? So that's the upside of it. And then, but even considering all that, like right now. I think you go into the that Penn State Wisconsin back to back, not really concerned that this team can't defend whatever those teams are probably going to do well enough for Ohio State to win if the offense shows up that day, if the offense is efficient and can stay on the field. I think it's like whatever Penn State's going to do as far as running the ball and Drew Aller combined with that. I think Ohio State can handle that. Uh, whatever Wisconsin's going to do. Uh, they looked okay at times against Purdue. I watched that Friday night from the hotel in Fort Wayne, and um, I don't think Purdue's very good this year. 
So take it with a grain of salt. Wisconsin did look pretty good, but there's obviously some limitations there for them too. So it, Penn State's the one that you're more concerned about at this stage. But this was a, a microcosm because of what they want to do running the ball. Like Notre Dame is a precursor to what they're going to see from Penn State in a lot of ways, what they're going to see from Michigan in a lot of ways. And they they passed the test from a defensive standpoint, I think. You're going to take, I mean, if you if I told you right now, Ohio State's going to give up no more than 14 points in any game the rest of the year, no matter how good the offense is, you would say, well, that's that's a national championship. And I, but I still think that there are better, there are more dynamic slash maybe better coached offenses still on this schedule than what we saw from Notre Dame. So the point there, you mentioned the growth. I, I wanted to hit on this before we got too deep into this. The game breaking plays, like the ex, like explosive plays of the defense, if you will, that has to be the next evolution here because you kind of look at you go down the stat sheet. And look at kind of how the game unfolded. Obviously, yes, we mentioned Notre Dame's running game. Audrey Gaston made five yards of carry. There's two backups over seven yards of carry. Uh, that's really good for Notre Dame. You know, that that's a really strong clip for Notre Dame. And that's something that if you would have told me going in, I would have said that's a problem for Ohio State. Uh, they did not sack Sam Hartman. Uh, that's a problem. Uh, they did not turn the ball over any times. That's a problem. And Ohio State didn't force any three and outs this game. Uh, Notre Dame got at least one first down on all of these drives. So there's a lot of things that you can point to and say the check marks that Ohio State wanted or needed to do. I think, look, they won the game and they allowed 14 points. And that is far and away the number one most important thing to check off the box. But as you get kind of into these subcategories, like what did we say before the game? Like if you turn Notre Dame over, you're going to put them in a hole a little bit and then you're going to get into those situations where, Hey, maybe now that it's 10, nothing, you're not going to be able to throw the ball as much as you want. Uh, and like, or, you know, like it was 10, nothing and Notre Dame came right down the field. Like you need a, you need a sack to make it. So they're playing behind the sticks. And now all of the sudden, like, for example, the, the play that they made on the last drive of the game, that last set of downs, where you saw what happened. I know Notre Dame was trying to burn the clock a little bit, but Ohio State gets in the backfield. I don't have it on my notes here, but I think it was JT. Ohio State gets in the backfield. Sam Hartman has to basically eat a five-yard loss, and then the drive was basically shot. Like You need more of those plays moving forward because I don't think they did, a, did, I don't think they did that enough on Saturday, and that's evidenced by you know, like I mentioned, some of the from the the splash plays, if you will, of the defense, the seventy five yard touchdown of the defense. You need an interception, and if a team's not going to throw the ball as much, you know, like a team like Notre Dame, you need uh you need a fumble, um you need a you know you need a tackle for loss. I don't I don't I don't have the numbers um in front of me in terms of tackles for loss. Um, actually, yes, I do. Uh, yeah, Ohio, Ohio State had two. You need more tackles for loss against a team that's going to run the ball like that. You you need more exclamation points. I'll put it like that. I think you could say the defense played very well, but the next step of this defense has to be creating havoc plays because that is really, I think, what is going to take this defense from really, really good to, okay, this is, this is something completely different than a lot of Ohio State fans have seen and, and, frankly, a lot of college football fans have seen from Ohio State in a very long time. 
We'll take a break right there. When we come back on Buckeye Talk, we're going to discuss defensive line because I thought there were a couple players who flashed there. So more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Sign up for text 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial. That gets you through the bye week, and it gets you through the Maryland game. Sign up. It's a great time. We have a great time over here. 614-350-3315. Nathan, Ohio State had 19 pressures on Sam Hartman, according to Pro Football Focus. No sacks, but 19 pressures. All but two of them were from defensive linemen, and here's the order. Tyleek Williams, who... Is the highest graded player on this team period through four games. It's which is, and it's. Not, I think that first of all, I think that's real now. I think in the past when he's had these high grades, it's been without context of who he was going against. I think this is real this year, and we can get into that more maybe. JT Tui Malowal and Jack Sawyer both had four pressures. Mike Hall had three, and then Lathan Ransom, Tommy Eichenberg, and Ty Hamilton all had one. No sacks on Sam Hartman, but also. They were doing a lot of quick stuff. It's not like he was sitting back there for seven seconds a lot of time. I thought they got him out of the pocket against this Notre Dame offensive line, which is quality, especially on the tackles. The interior is okay, but the tackles are are very good, obviously. Is this a quality day for the defensive line, even without a sack? You know, it's a good question because, obviously, as we said, Notre Dame did get the running game going. And and some of that is on them, but some of that was it was guys getting a little bit worn down. Um, this was like the least rotated I've ever seen the defensive line under Larry Johnson. Yeah, sixty-five uh, snaps for Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimolo out each. So every game Ty- they played every play, every single play. Tyleek Williams played fifty-six snaps. Uh, Mike Hall played thirty-five snaps. Ty Hamilton played thirty-four snaps. The only other defensive lineman to get snaps. Hero Canoe played two in these like big man jumbo packages. Mm. I remember Hero Canoe running out there. And Jaden McKenzie played three snaps. And then Caden Curry played one snap on defense. And then we didn't mention this on the offensive pod, but he was the fullback for a play on offense in one of those goal line situations. That didn't work either. So yeah. throwing a defensive end up. But still, to your point, yes, the starting defensive line plus one extra tackle played every single meaningful snap, every single snap period almost. And, I, you know, that's something that people have been sort of clamoring for for a while was to just commit to the best guys and have them on the field, especially at the most crucial points of the game. There is a, both a reward and a detriment to that at times. Like, yep. would <laughs> Ohio State have been, would, have, would they have gotten less worn down on some of those drives if they had rotated more guys? Yes, probably. But I think, it, so Larry Johnson would maybe argue that, except JT Tumalawa playing all those snaps, he's still there in position to make the two crucial defensive plays of the game. And I think that's maybe the ultimate lesson, that at some point you got to let these guys be upper echelon football players and, and, and let them go to work. It's not that foreign. And maybe this is actually a byproduct of the way these games are being played now, that you know, you're getting a, a different rhythm of a game and you're not as many um, – You're maybe Larry Johnson feels like the way that the, the clock rules are now, um, it's giving guys more of a breather. I don't know. And and letting him um, – hopefully we get to talk to him again soon because he's obviously going to have to let us inside a little bit on, on why he followed through with that strategy. Ryan Day said that that was going to happen, that they would concentrate more on the best defensive linemen and letting them play more, and that certainly happened. We are supposed to talk to – we hope Ohio State personnel this week. We don't know who 
We don't know how soon. It might not be until Wednesday night, but just, I guess, to let people know, we won't have the usual, like, breakdown of what happens at the Tuesday press conference because they're not having a Tuesday press conference this week. But we will let people know um, what to listen for for that. And and you'll be getting our text, 614-350-3315. But my my long-winded point here is that, yeah, I think I would still call this a good game for the defensive line because when you take all that into consideration, yes, Notre Dame had two touchdown drives. Again, it's college football against a top 10 opponent, I think you're going to take two touchdown drives. They did get worn down in the second half because of the way that Notre Dame behind a really solid offensive line was running the ball. But the defensive line still, a, per, a member of the defensive line still made the two the two plays on defense that made the comeback possible, right? Like at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's it, 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 JT Tumalau goes up there and makes a, a, a TFL and a and breaks up a pass, and Ohio State's got the ball back with a chance to win. And it's sort of like almost the way that you're grading Kyle McCord, right? That at the stand-up moment when they mm-hmm. had to win the game, the defense did the things that made winning the game possible. I thought that a combination of the magnitude of the game, the fact that it's a road game, the fact that, especially on the edge, because JT and Jack playing every single snap is just not the Larry Johnson we've known. Even Chase Young in 2019 didn't play every single snap in that Wisconsin and Penn State games, right? Like, they did rotate him a little bit. The fact that those two played every game, to me, we haven't talked to Larry Johnson. I hope we get Larry Johnson soon because I think that's interesting. And how much of that is him and how much of that is Day and Knowles. And what they, especially what Day was saying back at Big Ten Media Days and how we have to play our best players how much that is an influence in these types of games. It's the Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry have never played in a game like this. So, and Larry Johnson has said in the past that he doesn't want to put young players out there in games like this where they can make a mistake. And then because they're so young, it might stick with them and they can't bounce back from it, which I understand. We, we all been been young before some of us more recent than others. (laughs) Some of us more recent than others, but sometimes you make a mistake when you're young and it sticks with you and you don't want that to happen. So I get that. But I also wonder if Notre Dame having two high level tackles, was it better for just to let JT and Jack work on them and just work it throughout the game because it was going to be a back and forth affair, but eventually it leads to what you're talking about, Nathan, where JT breaks through and he makes a play where it matters most. Does he make that play if he only played 45 snaps? And maybe that's overthinking it, but that's how I'm going to view this as. JT and Jack had a full game to work on two guys who are like, can look them eye to eye in terms of talent. And at the end, one of them was able to make a play that mattered the most when the game was on the line because they got an opportunity to spend 65 snaps going up against each other. Maybe. Maybe. I think that's an interesting way to look at it, that there's a a kind of back and forth that happens over the course of a game, kind of like a running back, um, you know, getting his his uh, getting it going over the course of a game, yeah. building towards something. I think you still want I mean, the, the counter argument to that is, though, like. If you take one series off, does that affect anything? And if you take one series Probably. off, if a Kenyatta Jackson goes in for one of them on one series and then for the other one on another series, or Caden Curry, or whoever, and you just give them the one series break, are you really making yourself that vulnerable, and is does that extra breathing room help them? I I, I don't know. I, there's an argument to be made either way. I think 
It's I think this was instructive, though, for Larry Johnson, for this whole defense, to see that this can work. Against a top-10 team on the road, against NFL tackles, you can put Jack Sawyer and JT Tuomaloa out there for an entire game, and it can work. And not only can it work, it can they can still be the ones making the critical plays at the end of the game. Yeah, I do wonder if it'll still be that way. If they get 65 plays against Penn State, will it be all Jack and JT? Or because we're deeper into the season, do Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry maybe carve out a role for themselves even more? It, it, well, it, no, that's a good point, too, that there's a bite. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that may have factored into this usage, too, that they knew that these guys mm-hmm. were getting a break anyway after this week. So that's another reason. Because Larry Johnson does – it's not just game to game. It's the accumulation that he worries yeah. about as far as that usage. And I, I think that's an important thing to bring up in this discussion. That's, that's fair. So, Andrew, you brought this up a couple of times. The, the Notre Dame still moved the ball, yeah. especially with the inside runs. And mm-hmm. so while I thought in the past game – Mike and Tyleek especially were able to get after it a little bit. The run, the run stopping, especially up the middle, wasn't always great. Yeah, well, so the first thing I, I want to, before we get to the inside run stuff, um, the play that it, I'm so glad, it was so funny that Nathan said the comic core thing because that was exactly how I was thinking about it. Like, JT Tumaloa made those two plays back-to-back, and the... The tackle that he made was big. The pass breakup that he made was bigger because that's a first down. Like, I looked back at that play. Notre Dame, Stephen mentioned to me in the press box that Notre Dame had uh, has just been killing him on these screen plays. And, um, and, you know, you were at a point in the game where, all right, you know, Notre Dame called one and it was there. And if Notre Dame, I, I, there was 224 left. I didn't take note of how many timeouts Ohio State had, but that that probably is the game. Like, or it, if it's not actually the game, it's for all intents and purposes, the game is over if JT doesn't make that play. So, yeah, I, I mean, the plays that they made, I, I just, I think we, I really need to emphasize how big of a play that JT made there because that saved the game. And there were a couple different moments that you can kind of point to and be like, that guy saved the game here and that guy saved the game here. And some of those plays you can point to is, as yeah, you know, okay, that mattered. JT's play literally saved the game, I think. So, um, you know, that, I mean, I don't think that that can get talked about enough and I don't think you can get enough praise for that. The inside runs were an issue. Um, you know, I mentioned on the Friday pod and I mentioned at the beginning of this one, like, Notre Dame, you knew Notre Dame was going to try and run the ball and they came into this game and that's kind of exactly what they did. Um, and they did it effectively. Audrey Gestime, five yards of carry, Jadarian, uh, or excuse me, Jeremiah Love, 7.1 yards of carry, Jadarian Price, 7.3 yards of carry. Like, that's not good. And I know the secondary, like, they used Estime up the middle and they used Love and Price kind of on the edges. And it was a nice little balanced attack from the run game but Ohio State didn't defend the run as well as I thought they could have and should have um and and I get I mentioned the fourth down play calling for both teams I wonder what would have happened like if if Notre Dame had just said on that fourth and one early in the game in the first quarter or that fourth and one in the third quarter if they had just said you know what we're just gonna put a fullback or whatever in the backfield and we're gonna run straight ahead at them or 
we're going to stay in the gun and we're going to run straight ahead at them. I thought they would have got it. <laughs> like they were running the ball fairly effectively for most of the day. So the run, the, the run defense was a problem. Now, is that a problem that is long-term? Maybe, maybe um, it is a problem that certainly needs to be improved upon by Penn state. Um, Cause you know, I think that there's a fair argument that you would rather take Aller than Hartman, but Penn state's got, Nice little running, nice little running game with with some really good running backs. Do they have the offensive line Notre Dame has? I don't know. I personally, I don't think so. But they've got really good running backs too. And then you've got the looming great big bear at the end of the season in Michigan, and that is exactly what Michigan's going to try to do. So the run game was not, or the run defense from Ohio State was not where you would want it to be. But I, 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 I just, I'm kind of in that corollary again where it's like, all right. Is that just Notre Dame having some NFL offensive linemen and just, hey, they that's what they do and they run the ball really well? Or is that Ohio State needs to improve and this is a problem? I, I lean more towards the first one. Nathan, we just got done talking about how Jack and JT played every snap, and I just said maybe that was a good thing because they got to work on guys. So I'm going <laughs> to take the entire opposite approach with this one. I think they need another guy to emerge over the next two weeks because – we were talking maybe as much as it was a problem with the run game, how much of it was because the defensive line wore down, especially inside when Mike Hall is playing both nose and three tech, depending on whether Ty Leak or Ty Hamilton is in the game. Ty Hamilton's taking on double teams every snap he's playing because he's playing nose. Ty Leak Williams has been great, but also, you know, he's not the most well conditioned athlete in the world. I think that's a fair thing to say. Whether it's Hero Canoe taking a step, <laughs> whether it's Taiwan Malone, because that dude's here and he hasn't done much. I think they need a fourth guy to just help with that rotation for late in because that's part of the Ohio State's interior wore down and Notre Dame started moving the ball. So I think they do need a fourth guy. Well, for starters, I mean, I listen, I've I've made the ty- the comments about Ty Leak's um conditioning the pass as well i thought we saw it even early in preseason camp yeah i'm making him anymore like he's playing 56 snaps a game and he's making plays kind of throughout the game he was a dude that night i thought there were even some plays where what was there was another play where didn't he force he forced a quick pass by kind of coming around on a stunt and almost getting back to hartman that way like he's like he's he's legit man and he's become like is he their best defensive tackle now like don't we have to just say that like he's playing the most snaps so Um, he's turned his flashes into consistency i think it's a yes because there were a couple times where he was lined up over alt and he won like emphatically too and and he is uh, right and and maybe he should maybe that's a a tougher matchup for alt than than that's you know a different kind of athlete whatever that's true but um but that's still impressive and I, to me, it's 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 not just the flashes; it's that he has rounded out his game. Because I think when we saw him as a true freshman, it was you know it's okay, it's impressive he's getting he's getting some sacks in late game situations, but they also weren't uh, even into last season, weren't necessarily trusting him as an all around defensive lineman yet, and now mm-hmm. they they clearly are. I mean, he's out there more than anybody else, and that that matters. So um, I I mean, Tyreek Williams, the emergence of Tyreek Williams, like. I, I, you're right. I did say before the year that I thought this team might go as far as the defensive line carried it. 
And I wasn't really thinking about Tyreek Williams when I said that. <laughs> I was thinking about JT Tuomalawile, and I was thinking about Jack Sawyer. I was thinking about Mike Hall maybe coming into the best of, of his career. I was thinking about some of these young guys like Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry. If they hit, now what opens up? Like when you've got something really crazy going on with, with the this defensive end rotation. And I wasn't really thinking about Williams. And if if he's this good, there's still, like we said, keep saying, like four games in, like you're going to tell me that you don't think there couldn't still be great games ahead for my call or for those defensive ends or, or even Ty Hamilton. Like there's, it, it's still a really intriguing group. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, you're right though, that there is maybe still untapped potential. Tywin Malone, if you were to talk like through four games, like what are the biggest surprises as far as what we've seen from individual players? You could argue that two of the biggest surprises have been at defensive tackle in that the way Tyreek Williams has come along and really established himself and Mm -hmm. also the fact that Tyrell Malone has really not been a piece of this at all. And I thought he would be a bigger piece. I thought he would be in the mix to start and would be a significant piece of the rotation. And instead, he's just sort of there. So maybe that also is something that can still develop over the course of the season. but. I think the Notre Dame game was great evidence that they they you need depth to get through a year, and I think the mm-hmm. fact that it was a bye week this week helped as far as how long they went with dudes. But it shows you that when these games in December come along, November, December, whatever come along, you can do it there too. Like you can lean on these guys in a big way, and it's not going to cost you. Pinata Jackson and Taiwan Malone and Caden Curry's snap totals. As the season progresses, it's now an interesting storyline. Taiwan Malone's played 17 snaps in three games because he didn't play against Notre Dame. Kenyatta Jackson has played 54 snaps in three games. Caden Curry's played 57 snaps in four games because he played the one. So he's played 56 snaps and then he's but out there for But it's just, essentially it's just, not playing in the last game yet. Bingo. So it's like, it's, it's probably worth a Noel's question. It's already be hilarious. It's just how much of it was just get through the Notre Dame game with your top of the line guys, and then we'll come up for air. And then when we come back for the Maryland game, we start to see other guys get involved defensively, especially on that line, because I think the back seven is what it is. I think it's just Denzel Burke and Davison Igbenosan outside. And depending on the opponent is how much we see Jordan Hancock rotate in as an outside corner. But he's mostly just in the slot, a slot corner. Your safeties are going to be Sonny Styles, Lathan Ransom, and Josh Proctor. And your linebackers are going to be Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. And then Cody Simon will work in there as well. Because, But the defensive line rotation is something that I think might continue to evolve. Or it might be a situation where... Jack and JT play 65 snaps against Notre Dame, but they might play 50 snaps total the next two weeks as long as Ohio State takes care of business, and then it ramps back up in these bigger games. But Larry Johnson uses the depth in games where he can, but against Penn State, against Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, in a playoff game, I'm just expecting JT, Jack, Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, and Ty Hamilton to play the bulk of the snaps. We'll take one last break. And then we'll wrap things up here with the linebackers who, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll save my comments for after we come back from the break here on Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm. 
Mac on Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. So you take PFF grades with a grain of salt, obviously within, especially from a game-to-game basis. I think the overall season, they typically get it right. But from a game-to-game basis, you take it with a grain of salt. But Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers were Ohio State's lowest-graded players on defense. Tommy Eichenberg at 36.1 in 65 snaps. He also played the whole game. And then Steel Chambers, he played all but 10 snaps, which I think Cody Simon got those 10. 29.9. While Cody Simon, his grade was only a 59.6 in 15 snaps. But Nathan, I think he also made one of the most important plays of the game, even if it was early on. Yeah, massive play. I think we talked about it right after the game, just that, that fourth down stop. And watching that again, um, he had a, it wasn't easy for him there necessarily. He was engaged with a block downfield and had to then turn and come back to that play. And like, you can see them like converging towards the stick. And it's like, who's going to get there first. And like, they both lower their shoulder and it's, they pointed out on the broadcast. And it's right that like Hartman has to lower his shoulder, which means he's keeping the ball behind him. And just like that sliver of Mm -hmm. distance is the difference between converting that or not changes complexion of that game in a lot of ways. Um, I got to say, like, I didn't look at, I wasn't watching this game thinking, boy, those guys are just getting their butt kicked. And boy, no. those guys really stink. I didn't think that. And this is where the, the PFF grades, you know, your mileage may vary on those uh, from game to game. Um, and that's why I don't like to get too bogged down in the exact score of somebody. But I do think it was reflective of the success that Notre Dame was having running the ball. That this wasn't a game where I thought that Eichenberg either because of what Notre Dame was doing to to scheme it out or or what, you didn't really feel him asserting himself against the ground game the way that he often does. But I think that was by design. I think that Notre Dame was like, we can run the ball on Ohio State if we account for keeping that guy out. And um, I think it worked. I think it was a combination of Notre Dame Andrews, their ability to move the ball on the ground, while also Sam Hartman getting things over the middle. Where, I mean, some of that you can put, like, whether you want to, but there were times where it was clear where it felt like there were miscommunications in the passing game between Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. And as a result, Mitchell Evans was constantly wide open for these little easy dump-offs. He ended up with seven targets for five catches for 75 yards. All five of his catches, um, excuse me, he was at seven targets, seven catches for 75 yards. Five of them ended up in first downs. And I think that's part of why, the not the grades were so low, but why Notre Dame was able to move the ball so well is, no, the linebackers weren't bad. But they weren't great either in the passing game, and it allowed Notre Dame to maybe keep some drives alive because Sam Hartman didn't have to push the ball down the field. He could just keep dumping it off to his tight end. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more forgiving of the linebackers than maybe some would be. Um, you know, and maybe some of, and by some I mean the grades. Uh, you know, there were a couple plays. Uh, you know, I I saw there was one play where, you know, there was. On one of those plays, the Evans Evans was wide open, and you know, Stephen, you mentioned at the time that hey, Notre Dame's getting some yards after the catch. This is not by design; like something's going wrong. And I think that that kind of held held out. There were just a lot of open spaces over the middle, and mm-hmm. early on, it just I mean, I I it was very clear that Notre Dame was going to take whatever Ohio State was giving them. But I do kind of I'm sympathetic to the cause of the linebackers for Ohio State because. 
when you are playing a team that can run the ball like that, when you are playing a team that can, I mean, you want to say whatever, like you can say whatever you want about the passing game for Notre Dame. Like they can run the ball really well. And that played out. I thought they ran the ball extremely well. And that's a tough ask for linebackers when I know Notre Dame didn't run a lot of play action passes, but when you are so focused on making sure that Audric Estime doesn't get ahead of steam, that's a tough ask. And then, then you have to drop into coverage. You're, you're at, you're basically trying to wear two hats on one play. And that to me is just a really, really difficult challenge for, um, you know, for, for the linebackers. It, it's not the RPO looks per se, like the RPO looks are really tough on linebackers, but again, you're just, you are asked to, Hey, you have to cover, you know, <laughs> you have to be responsible for making tackles on Notre Dame. So they're, they're running, their running game doesn't get going. And Oh, also by the way, Notre Dame tight ends, which have just historically been very, very good. Oh, by the way, you have to cover them over the middle of the field. If Sam Hartman drops back to pass. That's a really tough ask. Um, it's it's tougher in a different way, maybe than the defensive line, who you kind of know what their job is. They're just going up against maybe better personnel. Um, I don't know. So the linebackers, for me, there were some things that they clearly cleaned up as the game went on. But I am a little bit more, like I said, sympathetic, and and I do kind of think that you know what, maybe the linebackers played about as well as you could expect when you were playing a team that can kind of hit you with those quick hitters over the middle, but to the linebackers responsibilities and coverage, but they can also run the ball like that. You know, and here's the thing, like they Notre Dame definitely exploited that. Like they exploited, you know, mm-hmm. by running the ball. Well, Ohio state having to give credit to that and then hitting the middle of the field. Like they exploited that so well. Um, it got them 14 points and a missed field. Sure. Like at the end of the day, I think you still look at this and say, you know, PFF grades, whatever, whatever. Like, uh, there's not a whole lot more that this defense was probably coming out of this game. Yeah, I mean, things you want to clean up, sure. And I, that's almost the great achievement of a game like this early in a season, if you can win it, is to come out of a win against a great team and be like, oh man, look at all these ways that we've got to get better, and we're four zero. Like that's for any team. Like that's that's just a huge gift to be able to to learn things from a big win. And I think Ohio State, man, the bye week is hitting at a really interesting spot for them. I think they, they came into this game very healthy. Other than Marvin Harrison Jr., it seemed like they came out of it pretty healthy. And you still get now a week to do any recuperations need to happen there. Guys can take some, can pull back a little bit physically for the next week. But you also get to like really intensely study these four games and see, and now look at how instructive this game is especially because you've got Penn State coming up in three weeks, especially because you've got Michigan coming up at the end of a season. Like this game can tell you a lot about where you have to get better specifically for the two still massive games that are coming ahead of you. I, I, I think that was, as I watched this, you would definitely see like, oh man, like that, that didn't work well. That didn't work well. Our state's got to clean that up. And then if you look up at the end of the game and it's 14 points in a long missed field goal and uh, very, very hard to argue with that being a successful, very successful day on defense. It's the, there was only one three and out in this game and Ohio State had it. You didn't have any, you said this earlier, Andrew, they didn't have any three and outs. And yet Notre Dame had two drives, long drives that ended on a turnover on downs 
when you're deep in Ohio State turnover ter- uh, territory, excuse me, Nathan, you just mentioned it, they missed a field goal and they scored twice on a worn down defensive line because they didn't rotate heavily. They stick with their starters. I think that's best case scenario for this game. I think that through four from a games, defensive standpoint. From a de- yeah, from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, yeah. Uh, check out the Monday pod. I think defensively through four games, I think the defense has won. If you had to say who has been the better unit through four games, it's clearly the defense. I think there's more positive things to say defensively, while the negative things are more you can chalk up to because there are only four games into the season. Let it, let it build. Let it build on itself. With that being said, we got a nitpick. Is there, what's your biggest worry about this defense? when they come back from the bye week for the last eight games of the regular season. That if if I can go first, um the yeah. when you play Penn State and Michigan, that the explosive plays are not like I mentioned this at the beginning, the explosive plays are not gonna make up for the potential run defensive issues or any sack issue, whatever you want. However, whatever you want to say, turnovers, Wait. sacks, whatever. Like that, I, I wonder if that's not going to be able to to make up for it. Because if like, let's say Michigan does that to Ohio State and their running backs run the ball for five yards of carry, six yards of carry, seven yards of carry, like that's not ideal for Ohio State's defense. And yet, if you're able to force some turnovers, if you can put Michigan behind the sticks, like if you can do those things, that changes the game completely. So I just, I wonder if like, this is a pretty this is a pretty good defense that needs to take that extra step into truly causing havoc plays, truly wrecking games, not just being a really good defense and being one of the better defenses in the country, like truly taking over a game where you force three turnovers or the opposing quarterback gets sacked four times. Like that's how you do that. And if you play a team like a Michigan or a Penn State, which are I would say talent adjacent ish to Notre Dame. Like if you play a team like that and the same kind of game unfolds where look, like Nathan said, Notre Dame's a good team. They have their good players. They're going to move the ball. They're going to score. You're not going to, you're not going to shut everybody out. So if, if you play a game like that, where a team is kind of moving the ball and you don't get those negative plays, I think that that could hurt them. So that would be the worry that I have with this defense is that, you know, when it comes down to it and, you know, a team is going to like, if you play Penn state and Michigan and you allow 20 points, you should win the game. That was the first time in the Ryan day era. They, that Ohio state's offense didn't score 20 points and they won the game. So if, if, if you allow 20 points a game like that, you should win. The problem would be if those drives can sustain themselves. Cause that's how they do that. When you're not getting those big plays, when you're not getting those game changing effort plays that, you know, and I don't want to say effort plays, but those game changing momentum swings that I think could really hurt this defense, because, again, teams are going to move the ball on them and you've got to find a way to swing momentum. So I'm going to take a stance that is a little bit contrary to the stance I've taken through four games. Uh, I think my biggest worry is that the truly like. And I don't know what better word to use, but like scary pass rush element never really comes around. Um, it's great that they're getting pressures and stuff, but I do think there's exponential benefit to getting home and getting a getting a hit on a guy, like getting a shot on a guy. You know, within within the rules of the game, 
but like getting physical with the quarterback can pay off later in a game if you can get some get some you know get some real hits in on it. My prediction, I guess, at this point is that there's some really poor quarterback along the way who's going to like pay for this in a yeah. significant way. It might be. It might be Talia. Hudson Carr to Purdue. It might be some <laughs> other like next tier down uh, kind of quarterback who just gets the brunt of this and gets really banged up one game. Uh, there were a lot of. You're right that that I thought that they you know they protected Hartman well. They did a good job getting the ball out of his hands. He also does a really good job of because he's been doing it for a thousand years, stepping up into the pocket and and mm-hmm. making throws. Like I thought he was really good at that. It wasn't sometimes that there wasn't pressure, that there wasn't displacement. It was just that he then feels it, senses it, steps up, and gets rid of the ball. I thought, so through these four games, it depends on how much your perspective, whether these things are excuses or reasons as to why Ohio State's top two defensive ends have zero sacks through four games. But I think at some point, those guys still need to assert themselves in that way. and. I didn't think that this was necessarily the game. I know my ext- my uh, my outrageous prediction was like six sacks or whatever, but coming out of it, I again I rewatch this game and I don't think that um, I, I think Sawyer and Tuamaloa were battling those those tackles pretty well. I thought they I thought that was a good football battle that night with those guys. And you're not always it's it's hard to get home against NFL tackles. Um, if 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 Notre Dame had thrown the ball even more, then you had more opportunities. Maybe they get home. But I think it's the rest of this schedule, though, that I still want to see that element emerge for this defense. Because as much as I think that we're starting to have reason to believe in kind of the core of this defense, that one of the things that is missing is that punch counterpunch that happens when a when a pass rush and that next level coverage are working together. And if that starts to happen, then you start to get to those takeaways that you're talking, that Andrew's talking about. You start to affect the quarterback physically, mentally, like the it's, it's, it's an important element for some of these games that are coming up. Those aren't the last really good tackles they're going to face. Michigan like always has good offensive linemen. Penn state has another NFL offensive tackle that they're going to have to contend with. Like there's more of these dudes on the schedule. If you get to a playoff, you're facing NFL offensive tackles more often than not. So what's your solution to that? Yes, some of it has to come up the middle, but I still think that I, I'm not sitting here criticizing and saying that JT Tumaloa and Jack Sawyer have been subpar through four games. Okay. I'm saying that if they want to, if, if to be special, that breakthrough I think does still have to come at some point and more opportunities are coming for that. So Ohio State's fourth in the country right now and yards per play allowed by the defense at 4.1 ahead of them are Penn State at 4.08 Syracuse at 3.97 and UCLA at 3.75. So one of the best top five defense right now. That's what are on day one. So right now they're a top five defense. I think my biggest concern is that one of these quarterbacks makes Ohio State pay for its defensive line not getting home. Because, now this was a blitz, but I think about J.J. McCarthy sniffing out that blitz last year and it ended up with an explosive touchdown. And then I think about Sam Hartman, you mentioned it, Nathan, on Saturday, where it's like, 
JT and Jack did a good job. It's just he moved up in the pocket. Veteran quarterback moved up in the pocket and then found somebody downfield. Can JJ McCarthy do that in year two as a starter? Is Drew Aller going to be ready to do that by the time we get to that Penn State game? Because he's progressing too, just like Kyle McCord is. Is Talia maybe going to do that against Maryland? Probably not. Probably not. But I don't know. You know, listen, can Tanner Mordecai do some of that? Probably not. But, you know, there's some quality quarterbacks left on the schedule who are decent enough to where if JT and Jack and Mike Hall don't start making quarterbacks feel them more every week, then I think it can become a problem when they get on the field with a like-minded team. It's not even about the sacks for me because not all sacks are created equal. I mean, Javante Jean-Baptiste, the last two years at Ohio State, was one of the top five guys in sacks. All sacks are not created equal. But presence and being felt is created equal. If you do that, you do that, regardless of what your counting stump numbers are right now. And I felt Jack and JT against Western Kentucky. I started to feel them late against Notre Dame, but I got to see them put it together for a full 60 minutes. Now, maybe not the first drive because that just doesn't happen that often, but I want to be able to look back at a game after 60 minutes, whether it's the Penn State game or Michigan, and go J.J. McCarthy or Drew Aller felt Jack and JT and Mike Hall, specifically those three, because that's where this all boils. That's two five stars and a top 50 recruit who keeps flashing his upside. I think deep offenses need to start feeling those three guys, because if they do, that's going to, to your point, add to what Denzel Burke is already doing in the back end as a guy who I think is clearly an all Big Ten performer right now, might start flirting with All-American status with the way he's playing, the way this David Sinegbenosin and these safeties and Jordan Hancock and these linebackers can be. If those three can start playing like dudes, Ohio State's defense is in a very good place. If they don't, I don't know how many more teams are only going to score 14 points like Notre Dame did. Well, to me, it's like Jim Knowles is clearly deciding to back off of the blitzing. It's it's a it's a it's a conscious decision he's making. It's part of yes. this game plan. He didn't he did it less against Notre Dame, I think. Like I said, I didn't chart it. It's something I've been meaning to do is actually go back. I've started that through the first four games and see this progression because I think it has changed. But if he's gonna do that less, the other the front four has to create more pressure on its own. We've all mm-hmm. seen the ramifications of what happens when a quarterback gets hit like over and over and over again. Like it's even if you're not even if they're not sacks. And I know they protect the quarterback more, so you have to be careful with it. But when you're getting in his face, you're you're, you're knocking him down a couple times. Like that stuff can can build. Uh, now that's one of the reasons why teams have changed the way they run offense and get rid of the ball so much faster and spread you out, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it it's part of the challenge. But I still think I I'm still optimistic that it can happen this year. That we start to see the fruits of this start to pay off more for Sawyer and Tuamaloau. Um, but I also think that the the opportunities just are rare in the modern game. You've got to capitalize on them when they come. Third and eight, I got to start feeling them because you're right. Teams have changed some things, but in those third and long situations, I want to peek up in my seat because I want to know what's happening. And right now, I don't feel like I'm doing that as often as I should be doing it. Then I wrap up the Tuesday pod. We did offense on Monday. We did defense on this Tuesday pod. We're gonna flip things because we're not gonna get anybody 
on Tuesday like we typically do, so we won't have that pod. We're supposed to potentially talk to people on Wednesday, so we'll do that for the Thursday pod. So this week, the Wednesday pod will be the big pod, and I'm going to put Nathan and Andrew and our texters to work with this very big survey. As we're recording this, they don't know about the survey yet, and they will know about it within like 20 minutes after we're done recording this. I will tell them more about what that is, but we're at the bye week, so it's time to maybe review some things and you know see how we feel about this team overall. So check in for that. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Text coming at you all week long, all season long. Two-week free trial, and then $3.99 after that. I promise you, you won't regret signing up for it. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.